Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to Episode 12, our special guest, Sandy Rosenberg. Welcome, Sandy Rosenberg, to Broadway's Backbone. Thank you, Brad Bradley. Uh, well, I will list your major credits, and we will go from there. <laughs> so you were in the L.A. Company of Les Mis, yes. along with the First National. Yes. You did the Jekyll and Hyde tour. Yes, before Broadway. Oh, yes. The Scarlet Pimpernel first. Uh, yes. And then Scarlet Pimpernel 2.0. Yes. You did Mame at Paper Mill. With Christine Ebersole and Kelly Bishop. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then uh, Mamma Mia. Yes, for five and a half years. Five and a half years. Yep. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> so uh, let's just start off with the basic. Where are you from and how did you get started? I am from Brooklyn, New York. And I always, um, when I was a kid, I would mimic all the commercials that were on TV with my great aunt. And I auditioned for all the uh, talent shows in grade school but never got in. And, <laughs> which is a lesson to all you people out there, never take a no for an answer. And uh, in high school, I auditioned for the drama class, but didn't get in. And, uh, but I was working in the office where they programmed what was then considered computers, but wasn't really. You just had to fill in a blank, you know, like with your number two pencil and that kind of deal. Yes. So I programmed myself into the class. And uh, the teacher didn't kick me out, but I did tell him years later how that actually came about that I ended up in his class. Now that's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I said, wait a minute, I deserve to be in this class. Ooh, look, I'm in it now. Yes. Yeah, so I did that, yeah. Uh -huh. And then I, I studied theater, I went to Sarah Lawrence College, studied theater, and then just started doing it. That's amazing. So uh, where did you get your equity card, or where did you do your first uh, bits of theater after Sarah Lawrence? Um, my, well, back then you could buy an equity card. So my college graduation gift was my initiation fee into AFTRA. And if you were a member of AFTRA for six months, you could join equity. Ah. So six months after graduating from college, I joined equity. And that's how I became a member of the union. Well, that's a great story. And then you said, right now, you and I are working at Theater by the Sea yes. together. Yes, And you interned here? I was part of the junior company in 1976, where we did um, six shows in seven weeks, pretty much. And so you would do one show at night, rehearse the following week's show during the day, as well as the kids' show, as well as the cabaret as well as, in my case, I worked in the costume shop and the guys built the sets and I had to pay $125 for the chance to work for free. Oh, you had to pay to work here. <laughs> and then I found, out, I found out five years ago that some of the guys were paid $45 a week and I had to pay $125. But then because I did the last show, which was Godspell, I got paid $125, so I broke even that summer. Oh, all right. So that's a good thing. <laughs> So a lot of times people say that you shouldn't uh, label yourself or you shouldn't be put in a category or, um, but I found that sometimes once you know your type, yes. it's also, you can get to be more lucrative. Would you consider yourself a certain type, a character actress? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, have you always, have you always been a character Absolutely. actress? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and 
What's funny is the roles that I would have played when I was, say, in my 20s that I was too young for, I end up playing those same roles when I'm closer to the age of those characters. So I have repeated some characters maybe 20, 20 years later. Oh, okay. Years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you were, you were the, uh, when you were younger, always playing. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> no, because I think I have several, uh, several friends that they're amazing, the talented, but you can see that they're character actresses and they're in their 20s. Yeah. And so their career's going to take off later in their, in their 40s. And, but there's also now sometimes I'll see breakdowns for character actresses in their 20s and I go, damn, I wish that that had been around. I said, that's my perfect description of who I was in my 20s, but I'm not that person anymore. So I think there is more... Uh, actually, when I was in my 20s, people in their 30s were playing 20s. You know, the Happy Days people, they weren't in their 20s when they were playing teenagers. So... Now people are actually playing their ages more than they were, at least on TV back in that, at that point. So uh, speaking of TV and film, yes. I heard that you auditioned for the movie Hair. I did. I did. I went to, it was an open call, and I had very, very, very long hair below my waist. It was very, very long. And what I did was I wanted to look different than everybody else. So I curled it in such a way that it would look like, telephone cord you know the curly telephone cord and then because my picture didn't look like that I drew that on my picture so that <laughs> <laughs> and and I went to the audition and I think because I did that I got a call back uh to dance for Twyla Tharp who was choreographing the movie and the callbacks were at the Phoenix House for Addiction <laughs> and so there I was I was I guess I was 18 um, in a very unfamiliar setting, figuring, well, hell, I'm just going to go for it. Um, I didn't get it, but it was kind of a, an interesting sort of turn of events. Oh, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, the main reason I wanted to do this interview is because you're fascinating, but we were having a, a conversation about confidence yes. and how uh, both of us, when we were younger, we had a lot of great confidence. And as we're getting older, we might get better credits and uh, get more talented, our confidence dwindles. Yes. And then you told a story that uh, I would love for you to tell now about, like, really some the real confidence. Well, there was um, a play that I had heard about that was going to be done at the Mark Taper Forum called I Ought to Be in Pictures. It was a new Neil Simon play. And I had heard about this character that was a, a, a character, actress, <laughs> a character in her um, late teens, and I was in my early 20s at the time, and, uh, and her sort of estranged father and his girlfriend. And it just sounded so much like me. And I had actually gotten a copy of the script, and um, not only was it very much like me, the girl lived in Brooklyn, and her relatives were buried in the same cemetery as my relatives were buried. I mean, it was that so close. And I couldn't find a way to get an audition. So at that point, the casting director for the Mark Taper Forum was Gordon Hunt, who's Helen Hunt's father. And he used to give a lot of lectures. So I sent him a telegram telling him how much Neil Simon wanted me in the role, <laughs> which was totable, but um, I figured, well, what the hell? And I didn't hear back from him, so I went to one of his lectures. And uh, during the break in between parts A and B, I went up to him, uh, all of my 20-some-odd self, and I said, um, hi, um, I sent you a telegram, and I want to know if you got it. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you're the one. I said, yes. He says, well, has my office called you yet? And I went, no. He said, well, they will. And 
the next day, I got a phone call from his office asking me to come in. And so I got, the, they gave me the script, I read it, and it was perfectly, I mean, it was me. And I went to the Mark Taper Forum and did my audition, left, started crossing um, the street to get my car, and Gordon Hunt and his associate run after me, I think it was Frank Bayer at the time, run after me, and they said, we want you to come back, we want you to come back and meet Jack O'Brien, who's going to be directing it. I said, great, he's seeing people on Friday, we're going to call you, I said, great. So Thursday came around and no phone call. So I called a friend of mine who had been the technical director at a theater I'd worked at after Theater by the Sea, who is now a big casting director in L.A., named April Webster. And I said, what's happening? I didn't get a phone call. Well, Jack O'Brien only wants to see people he knows. I went, oh. So I called a friend of mine who was a costume designer. I said, do you have any singing telegram outfits? <laughs> and he says, well, I have something that might work kind of like a movie usherette. I went, okay, I'll, I'll take it. So I wrote uh, a singing telegram to the tune of I Ought to Be in Pictures, or You Ought to Be in Pictures, and delivered myself to the Mark Taper Forum at the time that I knew that they were seeing people. And so... Um, I, I said, uh, April was there, and I said, I have a singing telegram. And she looks at me, and she goes, okay. And she goes into the room, and she tells Jack O'Brien there's a singing telegram. And he comes back, to, and he tells her, well, it's not my birthday. It must be an actor trying to get in. I'm not seeing anybody. And then Barry Moss, who was in for the New York office because they were going to bring it to Broadway, he comes out and says, oh, you're the singing telegram person. I said, yeah. He said, oh, I just had to make a call, but I want to hear it. I said, okay. And then Gordon Hunt comes out and he looks at me and he goes, Sandy. <laughs> I said, yes. He goes, do you know the opening scene? I went, yes. <laughs> he says, all right, come on in. I came on in. So there I am dressed as a singing telegram person doing the first scene from this play. And afterwards, all Jack O'Brien said was, see, you got to audition. And that was it. But three or four years later, I got to do it at dinner theater. But still, I got seen, and I. <laughs> That's what's important, and I mean, it's it's fascinating that that type of chutzpah isn't around anymore. I mean, in my life, I well, look if, back yeah, at other, that. Uh, kids might be doing it now, but I wouldn't have the balls oh, to do it. No, now. A- absolutely. I guess maybe it's because more people know us, or I don't know. It's weird because well, you, you kind of lose that feeling of invincibility that you have. As a younger person, perhaps. Yeah. Because you know that they can say no, whereas in your 20s, you're not sure that they can because you haven't heard it as many times. Right. So, you know, I think that that might have something to do with it as well. Well, I think, too, that uh, you have a, a longevity of your career. And how hard has it been to hear no so much over your life? I mean, you get to also, obviously, you're still in the business, so you, right. you've heard yes a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, what is the, the your thick skin that you've a, been able to have that is different now than in their 20s? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's just, a, I mean, there are certain jobs that you want more than others. And you sort of realize that if it's going to hurt you that badly, you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. You're going to get physically ill if it hurts you that badly. So I, I think that more often than not, I go, wow, I really, really like this, but I'm prepared for the fact that it's going to be a long shot. A lot of the time it's going to be a long shot. 
And sometimes that works, and sometimes the things that you think are a slam dunk aren't. Right. So I guess over the years I've just gotten prepared to hear the no and thrilled to hear the yes. Well, that's a great attitude. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, sometimes it's half full, sometimes it's half empty, but uh, you'll hear, in my case, I hear more no's than yes. There are some people who hear more yes than no's, and God bless them. But um, this has been a good year. Some years aren't as good. You know, um, but I've been luckier than a lot of the people who I started out with. So for me, who who isn't a triple threat? I mean, I wish, I wish that I could dance. But I had one day of ballet when I was five, and I got a fever, and my mother blamed ballet, and and I wasn't allowed to go back. <laughs> <laughs> that that's being Jewish. Oh no! I'm sorry. She has a fever. She must have gotten it dancing. <laughs> So that was pretty much put a kibosh on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're a, an actress who sings or a singer who acts. Are you both? Because, I mean, from my opinion, you're great at both. Thank do, you. Do you feel um, one stronger than the other? No. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. No. Um, and I love when I get the... I'm, I'm a... I would say I get hired more because of being a character person as a comedic um, character in musicals and in plays. But I was doing a show with the National Yiddish Theater, the Volksbühne, and I had to do a lot of heart-wrenching kind of scenes as mothers who've lost their children and that mm. kind of stuff. And I loved doing that because I was able to tap into something that I don't get the opportunity to tap into very often. Oh, absolutely. So for me, that was a great challenge and, and uh, a wonderful adventure. And the fun thing is is that we're going back into rehearsal in a couple of weeks and we're going to do three concerts of it in Vienna, Austria. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So uh, it's a, about the immigrant experience. So it should be, and half of it's in Yiddish and half of it's in English. So that's going to be kind of oh, fantastic. Wi- a wild adventure coming up. Yeah. So did you move to New York first or you went to LA first? Uh, uh... I'm from Brooklyn. So I was in LA, uh, pardon me, I was in New York and uh, tried to get work for the first year out of college. And I had friends who, my high school speech teacher had moved with his wife out to Los Angeles. And I went, and I said, well, come on out here and see what that's like. So I went out because it was also a matter of, it was time for me to leave home. Oh, right. And Manhattan may not have been far enough, you know, to sort of spread my wings and become independent. So I chose to go as far as within this country as I could. Uh, Not that home was bad. Home was fantastic, but I just wanted a new adventure, and so I moved out to Los Angeles and uh, stayed there for about 16 years. 16 years. Yeah. And is that, uh, was your first, was Les Mis the first thing you booked there, or was oh, it? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I, I, for me, I had a great day job. I was a personal sec- secretary for someone. Um, not initially, but uh, eventually within three years of my being out there and to this day I worked for her for about 13 of those 16 years and to this day we're very very close so that was a great day job as a personal secretary oh that's fantastic yeah and when I go to a job I hire I give her one of my friends as who wasn't perhaps as adept as I so that I knew I'd have a job when I (laughs) (laughs) that's very smart yeah it wasn't delivered, but it sort of worked out that way. Yes. Um, so I, I had that, which is which was wonderful. I joined various theater companies, and I worked in smaller theater companies. Les Mis was 
uh, I would say maybe eight years into my uh, stay in, in L.A. So I did smaller theaters. I did the I Ought to Be in Pictures. I did uh, shows with, uh, I was a member of Actors Alley and, uh, and also Theater East. And so I just, I did smaller things. Did a little bit of TV. Um, yeah, so that was, and then I got Les Mis and then other things and then nothing and then smaller things and... Yeah. And what, what what did you do? Was it the L.A. company? The uh, L.A. company. There, I had auditioned for the original L.A. company, and then a year later, they needed to replace someone. And it was a combination of uh, luck, and I fit the costume. I, you know, because they only had another couple of months left on, on the run. So I was thrilled, because I loved doing that show. And then I got into the uh, First National. And I also did the um, Les Mis in concert at the Sky Dome in Toronto for about 50,000 people. Wow. So that was fun, too. Yeah. And was um, what track did you have? What, what was your I, latest I experience? Oh, I was, uh, once I was the hair hag. That's how they, hair hag. I always understudied Madame Tenardier. And I actually got to go on once. In all the time that I did the show, I got to go on once. And I was called to, to go on a second time, but I was walking barefoot from in Chicago from my living room into my bedroom and I sort of left my pinky toe in the living room. <laughs> yeah, I broke it in three places. Oh gosh. And that night they said or they called and they said um you're on. I went, I can't stand. I I was in too much pain so I couldn't do it. And um unfortunately, and that would have been a great time. And then I came back the next day for the matinee. And they said, we can't tell you not to come in tonight, but all of your characters limp. <laughs> so I stayed out a night, and then I worked it out with my, with my dance partner for the waltz. I had, they had one size 7 shoe and one size 10 because I was so wrapped up. Oh, my, my gosh. But I said, okay, the only problem I'm having is doing the waltz. So it's a long dress. Can I stand on your feet? So I stood on his feet, and he just waltzed me around without my feet touching the ground. Well, that's a nice partner. I know. He was about 6'5". It wasn't going <laughs> <laughs> to harm him And any. you're tiny, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I had a good time with, uh, with Lee Min. And then you, did you go on the uh, First National after that? I was on that? the First National for their last uh, eight months, which was basically a month or so in Los Angeles and uh, the rest of the time in Chicago. Oh, and did you like touring? Well, that was only really two cities. Oh, oh, nice yeah. sit down. So yes, that was an eight month sit down was great. Touring um, when I toured with Jekyll and Hyde, which was mainly one weekers, and the occasional two weekers. Yes, I was at. I had. I didn't have a, a family situation that was holding me at home, so uh, it was my dog and I. And so uh, yes, that was it. Was a lot of fun. It was a great group of people to travel with, and uh, and one of my closest friends, who I had met at Theater by the Sea, was oh. in Jekyll and Hyde with me. So um, so it was great, and the dog wasn't as thrilled with it as I was, but she eventually was fine with it. And with Jekyll and Hyde, it was Frank Wildhorn's. Broadway debut, and he was kind of new on the circuit. I even remember listening to the concept album, and it yeah. was how was that? Because I mean, it was it came in, and it uh, I remember it didn't win anything. It ran longer than anything else That's did right. that year. He has a lot of fans. Yes, uh, it had initially started in a, um, years in 1990. They did it at the um, Alley Theater uh, in Houston, 
And that was the first time it was done. Then they did the concept album. And then they did the tour. Uh, no, actually, it wasn't the tour at that point. It was just going to be uh, another run in Houston and Seattle at the Fifth Avenue Theater. And then a few months after that, they put together a tour that lasted from the summer, uh, pardon me, the, uh, I think, 94 to 96. It was a long time. And then it opened very shortly after. Um, they switched directors, and uh, he liked somebody else's bone structure better than mine, and, and so uh, I, I didn't get to do my part. But that was around the same time Pimpernel came shortly thereafter, so I was fortunate enough to get Pimpernel. Well, I, I'm so fascinated about Pimpernel because, one, for many reasons, it was your Broadway debut. Yes. And I think uh, even right now working with a lot of these kids, these kids are like, I have to make my Broadway debut. I have to get my card. And they're like 22 years old. Yeah. And you have to realize that when your time is right, your time is right. You were, you weren't, you were older than 22 when you made your Broadway Considerably, debut. Considerably, yes. And I think but that's I wonderful. But I had lived in New York. So, right. Uh, so it, it, it wasn't the holy grail because I was in Los Angeles Oh, right. Applying my trade. So yes. um, I was thrilled to have that happen, even though it happened when I was 40. And how did it go from Jekyll and Hyde to Scarlett Pimpernel? Did you, uh, were you in New York? Did you audition? Or I actually was, um, I was doing Paper Moon uh, at Goodspeed Walnut Street and then at a Ford's Theater. I was at Ford's Theater when I auditioned for Pimpernel. And so, and I sang Sam, You Made the Pants Too Long with a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how I got Pimpernel. I got Jekyll and Hyde going to an EPA. Really? Yes. That I had almost forgotten about. I was, I was part of a caroling group. And somebody said, oh, are you going to the Jekyll and Hyde EPA? I said, oh my God, thanks for reminding me. I'd totally forgotten. In L.A. In too. L.A. Yeah. And, and so I Well, went, you could actually get into EPAs in L.A. And Leslie Brickus was at the EPA. I mean, he came to my callback. Frank, wow. Frank was at the EPA. And then for the callback, Leslie Brickus was there with Frank. And they had me sight-reading the music, which I love doing. That's like a lovely challenge for me because I love to do that. So oh, it was, wow. It was like a game. <laughs> so uh, and so that was, that was an, open, an open call. You just never know. You never know. You never know. Yeah. So what was your Broadway uh, debut like? How was that experience for you? Well, it was, very, it was a little crazy. Because my part was much bigger when it started, and then things it got a little smaller. And one of the producers said, "Oh, you're going to win a Tony." <laughs> I went, "Okay." And uh, but it was still it was very exciting. We thought we had a hit on our hands until two o'clock in the morning uh, after we o opened and the reviews came in, and we went, "Oh, I guess we don't." So it was kind of a little upsetting. And then a few months into it. Uh, the show was sold um, to Madison Square Garden Productions, and rewrites were done, and a new director was put into place, and um, I became a principal with two sung lines in the show. That was pretty much it. It was all cut, and it this was, was all cut, and this was in the one. Point, this and, was two point oh. Oh, this was two point yeah, and we were rehearsing two point oh in the daytime and doing one point oh. At night. Oh, so it didn't close and reopen. This happened while you were running? Yes. Oh. Yes. It was crazy. It was crazy. And um, Madison Square Garden Productions asked us to not 
ask for rehearsal pay. <laughs> to which I responded, you pay your athletes a whole lot of money. You can pay us. Yes. Yeah. Especially when you're, you know I mean, your hard work and your talents being like dwindled away. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing it, and I really liked it. I, I mean, I saw the it. The audience loved it. Yeah, I thought. Loved I think it. I saw the one version, and yeah, at the Minskoff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was thrilled, and I thought Douglas Sills was amazing. Amazing, and absolutely so amazing. I, Terry Mann was great. Christine Andreas was great. Oh, I forgot Terry Mann was yeah, in that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, absolutely. And um, then the the show closed and reopened, and you didn't go part of that journey, or did you? Twenty twenty of us were let go. Uh, for 3.0 <laughs> and uh, it was a, a whole debacle with the union and all sorts of stuff um, but yeah it was, a, it was messy oh. and, and they didn't close then either and yeah yeah it was a bit of a mess and eventually they did close and they did a tour and then they came back and it was craziness. Yeah, craziness. And they said, well, this this is not going to set a precedent. And then other shows were allowed to cut people and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And did they give you reasons for, like, who was let go and who wasn't? Mm, they were just reworking the show and felt that we were extraneous. So, well, my part was gone, so there was really... Oh. And the director had actually contacted the union to ask me if I would go on a pink contract just so I could have more to do. And I went, No. <laughs> you got my heart. Yeah. No, I'll sit back and you know read magazines and eat bonbons. But yeah, yeah. yeah don't no, don't know. make me now have to shuffle ball change. No, when, no. Uh, which wouldn't happen anyway. <laughs> so uh, from after Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, what was next? In after that, after Pimpernel, um, I well, here's another case. I ended up doing uh, Mame at Paper Mill Playhouse. But I couldn't get an audition for it. And so um, one of the lovely people I worked with at Scarlet Pimpernel was Harvey Evans, who is the most oh. delicious man. And well, I want him to do the, uh, this oh, podcast. Yes. I emailed he him. Would... haven't heard back. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I love Harvey. And um, I had done a, a reading of Paper Moon with Christy Neversall, who was already scheduled to play Mame, and he, one of his best friends. And I said, look, I'm, I'm having trouble with this. And... I, I sent a packet of stuff to the casting people, nothing happened. And I sent to the producer, nothing happened. And so he got to Christine, and Christine got me an appointment, and I got the job. And uh, I know, right? And uh, and it was wonderful. I played Gooch to her, and, and that, that happened right after Pimpernel. Oh, good. Yeah, so that was a great experience. And Leslie, uh, no, uh, no, who was... Leslie was in Funny Girl. I did that with her later, uh, but it was it was a wonderful, fun production. We were going to Broadway, as so many things are. I know. Well, when one of the other things we connected on was talking about Hurry Hurry Hollywood. That yes, that that was the first time I experienced like we're going to Broadway. We're to Broadway. And then you realize, oh, we we're have not going to Broadway. We have no chance at all going to Broadway. <laughs> like, but there's something exciting about that moment. Yeah. Of, you know. Great fun. And I remember, I think, that production of MAME. It's at, actually, it is the, the MAME on record at Lincoln Center Library. Oh, really? Yeah, at least it was for quite some time. I don't know if they taped another version of it, but they had 
They uh, the only other things that they had from the Angela Lansbury ones were videos that people had taken from their lap in the balcony. You know, so people actually donated their illegal videos to, uh, <laughs> to the library. But uh, ours is there, which is kind of fun to see. Yeah. Yeah, and then the casting person said do, to me after the press event, do I know how to cast a show? And I went, I'm thinking to myself, you don't want me. Yeah, you, couldn't, you wouldn't even <laughs> you wouldn't open even the door me. for me. You thought I was too old for it. Yeah. That's I crazy. I know. So when did Mama Mia come into your life? Mama, I was the first replacement. Oh, so, okay. Um, was were, there a big gap in there? Well, um, between um, between Mame and Mamma Mia, yeah, um, there was a bit of a gap for health reasons, and then um, I did Funny Girl at at Paper Mill, and uh, understudied uh, Mrs. Bryce and Mrs. Drakosh, and then. Later in the year was when I auditioned for uh, Mamma Mia, and the resident director was one of the guys I had done that Les Mis concert in Toronto ah. with. So I'm sure that that did help me. And uh, so You never know who, you who never you're know. working with and where you're working and with. And what they're going to become. I mean, Casey Nicola was in the ensemble of Pimpernel. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, and he's doing quite well for himself, I, I hear. Yes, he is. Yes. <laughs> So, um, so it went, I went, did that, and then Mamma Mia happened, uh, later in the year, uh, and I, and I went into, uh, understudy Judy Kay. Oh, all right. In the ensemble and understudy, um, and understudy her, and that was, uh, they were the first show to open after 9-11, so that was, I got the job December of that year, and then started rehearsals in January, and, et voila. So what was your experience like being a replacement? Sometimes that can be daunting. Well, it, it, the woman hadn't been in the show that long because it had only opened in October. Oh, okay. So I came in three months. She went on the tour to play the role oh, all right. of Rosie. So it was a little daunting because I felt that everybody loved her so much. And then um, I, made, you know, I made a place for myself and it, and it worked out quite well for, for quite some time. So I, I had a wonderful, a wonderful experience with the show. and I'll It was a surprise hit, too. Did you expect it to be that? I mean, no. I mean, it's still, I mean, it's closing in a month. Yeah, no, it's closing in two weeks. Oh, in two week, weeks? A week and a half, I'll be going to the closing on the 12th. Wow, and how many years did it run? From 9-11, so that would be 2001. Yeah. So, 14 years. Yeah, so did you have any idea when you joined that show? I knew it was a hit because the reviews had come out. Okay. You see, so yes. I, I knew that people were clamoring to see it. And it had already toured. The, it, it came in after a tour that started in Canada. So our leads were Canadian. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so Louise Petra was Canadian. Tina Madigan was Canadian. Um, and some of the guys were Canadian, too, who were playing the possible fathers. Um, but... Yeah, and one of the guys is still in it from day one, Brent Black. Oh, my goodness. They did goodness. an article on him today in the Daily News. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, and we were all, and it, what was fa fabulous about it is we were there for all these life events for people. Uh, my father died during the run of the show, and people came to my house in Brooklyn, and Three of us got married within a month of each other. So backstage in the booths were all these wedding magazines. And since 
I, uh, they were, these girls helped me plan my wedding, basically, because, you know, one was before me, one was after me, and it was like having a, a whole wonderful family of wacky friends. Mm. You, you mentioned the golden handcuffs before. Yes. With, for five years. How was, how was that? Because there gets to be a point when you're doing it for the art, then you're doing it for the craft, then you're doing it for the money. And so where, how did those five years go for you emotionally and with, with doing that? Cause some people are like, oh, Mamma Mia, it's a fluff show. I mean, did you feel... It was fun. It was always a challenge. Um, it was always different. And the fact that we could watch the... We, we sing, sing in booths backstage. And so every booth had about five people usually in it and a TV screen where we could see the conductor. Plus we could also see about two or three rows behind him. So basically we would be watching TV because people did not know that we could see them. <laughs> so we could see people who were drunk having a really hard time. We could see people making out. We could see... Oh, yeah, please. There was a woman who had her hand in the guy's lap for the entire show. I don't know what. I don't want it to... No, you know. <laughs> I mean, we saw all sorts of stuff... Um, going on so and they were a great group of people and shows change all the time so I never really felt that it was uh drudgery oh good yeah you nice. know I appreciated the fact that I had a great job I appreciated the fact that I could leave my house at seven eighteen, get there by seven twenty nine, and be on stage at eight there it doesn't suck no not at all it doesn't suck you know and I was able to have a, a home life and and uh, it was quite nice. Well, the nasty. Uh, that's I mean that sounds great. Well, yeah. speaking of the nasty stuff though, you did. We were joking about uh, not having air conditioning at our current theater, yeah. and you were like, "What the uh, Winter Guard didn't have air conditioning?" Well, on the stage, it had air conditioning for the for the audience. Oh. It didn't have air conditioning on the stage for the first few, basically the first five or so years of the show, because when they had renovated after Cats. Somehow the vents got closed. And so we sort of had to fight to get air conditioning, which they now have apparently lovely air conditioning. It was only there briefly uh, before I, I yes. was no longer in the show, but it, it made a world of difference. Well, I think people are always, they just, they think that Broadway is the holy grail. And then I don't think they realize that the dressing rooms are... A, they're old. They're old. Of flights of <laughs> stairs. They don't have air conditioning. That like some of these newer theaters are nicer. Yeah. Oh, the Winter Garden was absolutely lovely. That oh. was a lovely, lovely theater. But now that shows at the Broadhurst, which is also a lovely theater, except for they some of the people are climbing five flights of stairs to their dressing rooms because it's an older theater. Yes. Well, a smaller theater. Winter Garden's old also, but for whatever reason, it's much more. Uh, the way the dressing rooms are was much either way it was renovated at some point, I don't know. But it's much more accessible than going up a winding staircase. Yes. Yes. And did you like being an understudy just in your in your career? You've been understudied for some great roles though. Yes. Well what else did I understudy? Uh, uh Madame Tenardier. That's true. And, that was uh, so long ago. Mrs. Bryce is a great yes, role. Yes. yes. Thank you for remembering my career when Abs- I can. Absolutely. Um Yes. Well, actually, I haven't done it that many times, but um, I admire swings because I don't know that I could I could put ten roles into my head. No way. Uh, not a chance. Um, I liked understudying one role, and I had a ball. The funny thing that did happen once is I was under one of the women 
Judy played it for quite some time, and then um, other people played it. And one time, a, a lovely actress who's now in Amazing Grace, um, Harriet D. Foy, played uh, Rosie. And she got sick during the first act. And Harriet is a rather statuesque African-American woman, uh, which I am not. <laughs> I'm not statuesque, and I'm short and white. And um, so second act, they say Sandy Rosemary will be now playing the role of Rosie. And I come on, and they, and they never call her by name in the second act. And so the audience doesn't know who the heck I am, and it takes them a few scenes before they figure, oh, she's taking over the play. Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. Yeah, you could have found two more disparate um, act actors who don't look at all like each other <laughs> than myself and Harry. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of wacky. Kind of wacky. Yeah. And why'd you, uh, after five years, did you uh, choose to leave for... Because they told me to. Oh. <laughs> they said, you will now be leaving. <laughs> oh, I, like, I didn't realize they could do that on a pink contract. They, or... have, to, they have to pay. Oh, okay. 15 weeks of salary, but somebody decided I, it was my time to leave. I, Five years I won't is get a good into run. it in public, but when this thing is off, I'll tell you the oh, journey. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> so is that before or after it moved to the Broadhurst? Oh, before. Oh, before. before. It just moved to the Broadhurst about two years ago. I've oh, been okay. out of the show for maybe six now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so uh, within your career, because you've had a lot of successes, were there times that, that you were just like, what am I doing? I, I want to get my day job back or like... There, yes. When, I, when I, I was invited to come and speak at my college to a, a bunch of graduating seniors in the theater department and, well, just sit at their table at a dinner. And I said, is it okay if I'm bitter? <laughs> I said, well, you know, it's something to, to know about. Because there have been times that I haven't been working as much. Um, this has been my summer, summer of the senior citizen. It's like every character's been around 70. And I go, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and people say, well, how are you doing this makeup? I said, I'm just not using any concealer. And then, <laughs> oh, no, you put on a lot of makeup. You're not. Well, for this show, but the other shows that I did this summer, I just didn't put on any concealer. I didn't do anything other than that, and people bought it. I went, um, so yeah I mean when it's been a dry season because um, I go well maybe I should be a kindergarten teacher or maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that and it never goes past the maybe I should and then something comes up so um, it's yes when you're working it's great when you're not it's like ooh, you know what what was I thinking but um Right now it's good, so I don't think about the times that it's not. Yeah. No, that's that's smart. Yeah. To... I'm just enjoying the time that I'm doing stuff. Yeah. How do you find your craft is different now that you're uh, of a certain age as opposed to when you were playing these, some of these same roles when you were younger? Oh, um, they fit better. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's for sure. Um yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll see pictures like I had done at Theater by the Sea, we had done Candide. And then I got to play the same, some of the same roles at New York City Opera. So I have pictures of myself as the Baroness in 1976, but I looked more like the Baroness, you know, about six years ago than, you know. <laughs> this, so um, I, I feel I'm not acting as much to be these characters because I'm closer to them in many ways than I was 
imagining what an older person would be in my 20s. Right. You know, so I think that that might possibly be it. As far as craft, the more you do stuff, the better you get at it, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. Do you still train or do you take TV classes or is it always... I never did. You never did. I never did. You know, um, sometimes I, um, I'll go to coaching sessions for specific uh, songs if I have to learn something for an audition. Um, but I should have along the way. And, and uh, I think if I had worked more, I would have had more money that I would have set aside for lessons because I think I would really have enjoyed it. But it's, it's so expensive that it would have cut into living expenses. So I just sort of relied on what God gave me and try to keep that going. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, hi, and welcome to uh, Fly by the Seat of Our Pants. And that's basically how I've done a lot of my... Um, work. No, no, that's great. <laughs> and this is like a, a like a, a unrelated topic when it comes to like big big career things. But I'm finding it now. Uh, I'm getting a little older. The traveling to regional theaters and packing your stuff up isn't as easy as it used to be, and it's not as much fun to like share a kitchen with 27 people. And it's just like you realize that that's in between Broadway shows. You're shipping off to wherever they'll hire you, and yeah. that's. Used to be but, fun and exciting, but I didn't do that when I was younger. I oh, okay. I, I never I I didn't have the opportunity to do that many regional shows. So this going to there are certain theaters now that I've worked at more than once, and it becomes sort of part of a family, which is nice. Like I, I've worked at the Fulton Theater in Lancaster a couple of times, and I'll be there next year as well. And Gateway and Ogunquit, and now Theater by the Sea. Who knows? And um, so those, now I'm doing that. So I didn't have the experience of sharing a kitchen with 20 some odd people until like three years ago when I went to Gateway and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I'm pretty malleable. I, I, I can do this. So I'm not, yeah, it's not my kitchen, but I can make it work. Absolutely. You know, I've had friends who go, I, I can't do this. Oh, I just can't. I just go, yeah, yeah. what the hell? Because it is pretty crazy that, I mean, at both of our ages that we're still doing what we'd love to do. Yeah. Oh, it's a blessing. Yeah. It's a blessing. I have friends who had Broadway careers and then totally did, like, turned around and got their college degrees and became, you know, got their doctorates and after having a, a, a Broadway career because they felt they wanted to do something else with their lives which is fabulous oh it is but it because this career does beat you up and I mean, we have some young people that we know that are bitter at 20 years old yeah that that won't take you very far no no it's like get out or it's going to eat you up eat you up yeah. you know because if you said you just got bitter just a couple years ago that's a pretty good attitude well that just uh i mean there have been periods of bitter but <laughs> <laughs> you know you're not working oh yeah it's it's just life. You sort of just go with it. It's some of it's good, some of it's bad. Just you keep going. You just keep going. And how are you with auditions? Do you love auditioning? Do you hate no. them? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, the first auditions I did after Mamma Mia, I was shaking like a leaf because I I was so I, I was um, insulated from needing to look for another job for so long. Yeah. That literally. I, I was borderline panic attack for something that I knew how to do, and I had to talk myself down before walking in that room. 
So um, I try to have less of those that, you know, as best I can, but that can happen. Yeah. You got, you get out of the, the swing of it, you know, but it's crazy business. My husband, who is not in the business, he goes, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's just, that's <laughs> an awful business. You get treated badly. You should have gotten that job. There was nobody better than you. That's the kind of guy you should marry. There's nobody better than you. If you, if, you yes. Know, where do you find them? Yeah, that's Did, right. Online. Online. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, that's good. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, before we wrap this up, do you have any other uh, fun additional stories? Or, uh, oh, a piano teacher. Oh, well, that, okay. Here's an, int- it's not a fun story, but it's, oh. it's, it's a, a strange story. Um, I like strange. Yes. Okay. This is, this is a story for, for young people who are listening to this. When I was 18 years old, well, actually, this is, I can all say it, okay. Um, when I was, I think, no, wait a minute, hold on, let me get the, uh, 18, okay, got it. <laughs> I had, had to get it right because of a specific reason for it. I was reading backstage and show business and all this and looking for jobs, of course. And one of them was for a documentary uh, and they needed college-age students. It was a documentary on college relationships. I said, oh, well, this is my gig, right? And so I went to this, uh, had an appointment, and not being that knowledgeable about Manhattan, because I lived in Brooklyn, which is a totally different experience than Manhattan, I thought that when you saw a studio, that meant a studio, not a studio apartment, so so I go to this studio in the village, and it turns out it's this director's apartment, who was still in his robe. <laughs> Swear to God. And, and he says, oh, uh, sorry, uh, I'll, I'll get dressed. And he gets dressed, and we're talking about this. And he says, well, um, I'm doing this, and it's uh, through the Board of Education, and this, that, the other, and how do you feel about nudity? And I went, well, I... I'm not about to do nudity. I'm 18 years old. I'm not, no. And he said, oh, and I said, but, you know, I'm a good actress. I was very, you know, very naive. And so um, I leave, and then I write him a letter going, well, I, 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 explaining why I wouldn't do nudity. And then he, I get a callback for this. And at the callback, it's with these other women, all about the same age. And uh, we're talking about relationships and this. And I, I didn't have much to impart at 18. But, um, you know, we were all getting along fine. And I became one. I got the job. I do this in quotation marks for people who don't see air quotes. <laughs> and, um, and we met a couple of Saturdays. Well, one Saturday he said he lost his funding, but he was going to go to the state. And then we would do improvi- improvisations and stuff like this. And we met maybe two or three times, and we got to know the girls. And then one day there was, uh, on the front page of the New York Post, that a body was found on a roof in the village of a young woman. And, uh, and I recognized the address, and the address was the address where we had been meeting. And then um, by the 
end of the, it, then they said that nobody in the building, and they showed a picture of the woman, and they said nobody in the building knew her. And she was the woman who sat next to me the previous Saturday. Oh, my gosh. And so I wrote a letter to the newspaper saying, somebody in the building does know her, but I had my dad send it from another borough. He drove to Queens to send <gasps> this letter because we didn't want it to come back that it was me. Oh, wait, I have to, wait, I got to go back. Of, I've got to go back. Okay, go okay, back. I have to go back. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so prior to this, this director had called me and said, I need to do some, I need a model for a photography thing that a friend of mine is doing. Would you be willing to come over and help me with this? And I'm thinking, wow. This is my big break. But my mother had just died a few days prior, and I couldn't leave the house because we were sitting shiva, and I got, I'm thinking, oh, great, Ma, you died. And this was my, this was my big break. And so I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't go. Then a few days after that was when the body was found. And, uh, and by the end of the week, they had put two and two together because this guy who I was alone in the apartment with had been in prison for murdering one of his piano students. The whole thing was bullshit. Oh my gosh. And, and apparently a book was written. And the way I know a book was written, because when I was living out in California, and he got incarcerated and then hung himself in jail. But the reason I know this is that somebody was, a book was written called The Piano Teacher. And somebody in my theater group in California was reading this book. He says, do you have this book? I went, no, why would I know this book? He said, because your name is in it. I said, excuse me? He had sent a letter to all of us and had all of our names at the top and then circled which, who he had sent the letter to so he would keep a record. It was about what we were going to be doing with this project. I went, holy crap. Wow. That is, that is me. And so that's how I found out what happened with this. So a cautionary tale yes. to young people. Be very careful. Yes, don't ever what go to someone's house. You, don't go to some, even if studio means studio apartment, yeah, which yeah. I did not know Absolutely. back in the 70s. Yeah. But um, so that was my, my little cautionary tale for young people. Yeah. <laughs> like, I did have a callback once in a hotel room, but it was a hotel room that had a, you know how some of them have like a, a den lobby and there were yes. several people there so it wasn't in the bedroom but yeah. at first I was like this is really weird but it was a there was a living room area and yeah but it's just walking in there I was like this is really bizarre this is very bizarre yeah I didn't realize how bizarre it was until yes yeah things I mean of all books to be mentioned in that's not the, the one no not no the one Ripley's Believe It or Not maybe <laughs> Broadway World maybe yes exactly but uh, not not that so yes that's my my little cautionary tale. Well, excellent. Well, I, I mean, I, I have a feeling you and I will be working together again. I think Because so. this was, I mean, you're uh, a joy on stage. Well, and thank off. you, kind sir, as you're are you. You're welcome. So if I were to pick one song to end this podcast with, uh, from all the shows that you've ever done, uh, to play out, uh, what would it be? Um, I was trying to think what would be a fun song. And one that I do sometimes that is kind of fun from Phantom. Because I, pl- I played Carlotta in the Yeston Coppet Phantom a couple of times. Oh. Which is a song I'll be singing at the cabaret this week. This Place is Mine. Excellent. So that's, that's the diva song. Done. Done. Well, thank you so much. This You're was a great, welcome. great thank interview. <laughs> okay, so I have another story. <laughs> this is how I got my SAG card. So because I was an after member, you had to have an after job in order to get a SAG card. So I was a pretend contestant in Los Angeles for Name That Tune. 
Oh, I remember that. So, right? Yeah. And so that, that way... Wasn't that Kathy the Gifford? Yes. And Jim Lang from The Dating Game. Oh, really? Yes, he was the host of it. And so I, they needed contestants to play the games that the orchestra could rehearse. Ah. So, and it was an after gig. And so I would do this, but because I was so good at naming it in like two notes, the orchestra never got a chance to rehearse the songs just in case somebody didn't know it. So Jim Lang would just like say, no, you're wrong, even if I was right. <laughs> <laughs> just so that the orchestra could play something else. And that's how I got my fan card. Ah, well, I like that. Well, thank you again. Uh, I always love a, a last-minute story. A P.S. Yes. I will realize my dream, cause if I'm not in a light, I'm incomplete. And the 